Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show and happy Friday. Well, the January 6th theater hit primetime last night. Did you watch? We're going to get to some of what the Democrats want you to believe are the highlights later this show. I've got some thoughts, uh, a lot of thoughts, actually. Uh, But just hours after the January 6th findings were put on display, the party and the White House and the rest of us got a major reality check on what actually matters to Americans. A new report from the Bureau of Labor finding that last month, Inflation saw the fastest increase since December of 1981. Your humble correspondent was 10. (laughs) Most of you listening, half of you probably weren't even born. Uh, Analysts were expecting 8.3%. Instead, it came in at 8.6%. We're going in the wrong direction now. They were saying, oh, maybe it's peaked. It's peaked. It's peaked. It hasn't peaked. And God knows where this is going to end. Food prices are up 10% from a year ago. Energy prices, up 35%, but you hardly need me to tell you that. You can feel that one. Fuel oil up an astonishing astonishing 107% from last year. The average price of gas is now approaching $5 a gallon. In a moment, I'm going to be joined by The Daily Wire's Michael Knowles to talk about the January 6th hearing last night on Capitol Hill, the theater. And later in the show, we will close out a busy week with some fun with comedian Christina P, who's amazing. God, she's funny. But first, we got to get to this inflation and this the economy. And here to break down what it all means is our pal Eric Bowling, host of The Balance on Newsmax. Eric, my friend, great to see you. Great to see you, Megan. I, I, w- I wish I could come on when there we had some better news, but <laughs> wow, this well, inflation stuff is bad. It so is put it in perspective, because really they, they were hoping it was going to go down. They thought it maybe maybe eight point three. It went. It's going in the wrong direction, as like pretty much every metric economically is. So how bad is this, and what does it mean? No, it, it, it's super bad because it's not stopping here. And this is the this is the problem. Every time I come on, I, I talk about how the Biden administration isn't changing anything. And all they really have to do is change their energy policy. They will not budge on their energy policy. I mean, they're so out to lunch with when it comes to energy. Jennifer Granholm, the the energy secretary, the energy secretary of the United States has no energy experience, none whatsoever. She laughed when they when a Bloomberg reporter asked her, you know, what are you gonna do about gas prices? There's a there's a chuckle. She laughs. You know why? Because they don't know. They know they here's here's perspective. A barrel of oil right now, and every time I come on, Megan, it's been higher. A barrel of oil right now globally is $122 a barrel. Mm. There was a time in 2020, towards the very end of, of Trump's presidency, it was April, late April 2020, it went to $10 a barrel, $10 wow. a barrel. And we were, wow. we were self-sufficient in oil. So it, here is the, 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 the worst part of the problem. At $4.98.7, which is our national average today for gas, that has to catch up to the $122 a barrel oil because you put oil through a refinery. It's a feedstock for, for the gasoline. It comes out backside gasoline, heating oil, fuel oil, and, and jet fuel. Um, $122 means you're probably going to exceed $6 or $7 a gallon in the United States unless that, that price came down on the, on the crude oil side. And it's not. It just continues to go higher. Another big problem here. We're going into the into the cooling season, the air conditioning season in the United States. You're, you're, the number for electricity is up 12%. So right now it's only up 12%. What happens in August is you're going to see massive 
massive spikes in your power bill. On top of, you know, basically having to pull out a tooth to afford gasoline, your power, your electricity bills over the summer are going to be astronomical. And their only answer is go buy an electric car. And I know everyone's talking about a $60,000 electric car, but there's a bigger problem than being able to afford an electric car. The bigger problem is we right now we have a million electric vehicles on the road, 1 million. We have 350 million vehicles total on the road. 1 million of them are, are electric. If you were to double that, just to 2 million, and not even put a dent in our, our, our consumption of energy, of, of oil and, and fossil fuels, it wouldn't put a dent in it. Double it to 2 million, we would never, ever, ever be able to, to, to be able to, to, to power up those, those, uh, those um, someone was just talking to me, uh, never be able to power up those vehicles. There's just not enough power. There's not enough sourcing of, of power. And again, all that like power. Like the batteries and where you plug in and they like, you yeah. need that all over the place. You need it at the gas stations, you need it at the rest stops, you need it every place so the cars can keep going. Well, yeah, but, but here we're going to have rolling brownouts. New York and California are already telling us this summer, get ready. You're going to have blackouts and rolling brownouts to just to, to, to be able to get power to people continuously, but they'll, they'll be blocked without pushing an electric vehicle mm. uh, agenda that they are they're they're mm. pushing so hard right now. They're fools. They don't know what they're doing. And again, the, the the biggest component of of inflation, and they don't get this. They're not getting this. Is is energy? U.S. energy? It's not Russian oil. It has nothing to do with Russian oil. Joe Biden was sworn into office on January twentieth, twenty twenty one, for two dollars and thirty nine cents was a gallon that day. It's never gone down. Yet it's one hundred and eight percent higher right now. But it never went down. So them saying it's Putin's fault. Because the last dollar twenty is Putin. Well, guess what? The other three dollars were on them. It's insane. It's like the referee, the referee blowing a call in the fourth quarter, and you're blaming the referee, but you lost fifty to nothing anyway. Mm, that's a good analogy. So yesterday we had on Ryan Grimm to talk about uh, Joe Biden's mental health. It wasn't anything about gas, but he was mentioning, and he's a, a left, a left-leaning person. He's of the Intercept, but totally fair guy. But his take on the oil uh, problem, the gasoline problem was, um, we're going to be in this predicament until the Saudi prince decides we're not going to be. And what do you make of that? Because I know there are some people who say, look, the Saudis haven't been working for us. They're not backfilling what what we lost when we did the Russian um, embargo, the sanctions which I realized was only a single digit sacrifice on our part. But they're saying the Saudis control the spigot. And the, and right now we don't really want to deal with the prince. We'll only deal with the old man, the king, because we don't really like the prince who, you know, Jamal Khashoggi, the Washington Post yeah. journalist, appears to have been murdered by or at his instruction. In any event, it's complicated because we need the Saudis to some extent on a number of fronts. And uh, he, he was basically blaming these gas prices on the prince, the Saudi Arabian prince. What do you make of that? Yeah, so. The only reason why the prince matters or the mullahs in Iran matter or anywhere or, or the, the dictators in Venezuela matter is because we've gone off being self-sufficient in energy. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's extremely simple. There was a point in 2020 where we were completely self-sufficient. We were not importing a single barrel of oil or products. We were actually exporting our excess that's why oil went to $10 a barrel. We had so much, we were exporting, we were oversupplied. Now with the pulling back of, of, of the Keystone pipeline and all the other, making it more difficult for oil companies to produce oil, making it more expensive for, for them to produce oil because of regulations and, and a really unfriendly business climate under a, a, you know, the Green New Deal squadsters. 
Oil companies produce less. And now we're importing 7 million barrels of oil a day. Russia was only a couple hundred thousand barrels. They had nothing to do with it. So now we do. Yes, we have to go beg and, and Biden's got to go, you know, bow and beg to the to the oil, the OPEC oil cartel gangster cartel uh, who are holding it over our heads. But we didn't have to do this. They would solve every single one of their problems. You know what the weird thing is? They mm. might even salvage a midterm election or a presidential election if they just started pumping oil. But they're too married to the ideology to do that. And they're yeah. willing to lose in the midterms and lose in 2024 just to appease the progressive wing of the party. And so in the co- meantime, drag the middle class down into maybe the lower class in America. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really a shame. Because this is like, I mean, everything's up. You know, we, uh, we're we talking about gas. Shelter costs are up 5.5%. Airline fares are up 12.6%. Uh, that's the third straight double digit rise uh, in, in those. They're saying that in the inflationary number, again, now 8.6, could go up to 9%. This is sourced to the Wall Street Journal as early as July and is likely to stay there until at least the fall. I mean, 9% inflation until at least the fall. I don't care how many hearings they have on January 6th, Eric. This is what the people are going to be looking they at. They needed, Megan, they needed to do a hearing with Janet Yellen, who admitted on television that they made a mistake. They blew it and they didn't see inflation heating up. And, and, and again, in conjunction with the White House. So what do they do? The reason why the stock market is down 800 points today is because the, 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 the money people, the smart money, realizes that the only way now to combat inflation, if they're not going to go after gasoline and reduce our prices at the pump, which would work, um, then they have to go at it with a, with a money supply situation. So they're going to have to raise interest rates. That's Again. always bad for stocks. And so stocks go down. Can I just point something out? Yeah. They keep Biden keeps blaming the the, the Global supply chain for inflation because prices are going up because of global supply, global supply chain. China, you know what China's inflation rate is today? 2.1%. France, 5.2%. We're 8.6 on our way to 10 because it has nothing to do with the global supply chain. It has everything to do with the price we're paying for fuel. Fuel is in a component in every single thing we buy. Everything we buy, I don't care what you tell you, pick a product. I'll explain how oil and fuel have a component in the, in the price of that. Name it, toilet paper, everything. And not to mention the cost of delivering the stuff, diesel, $5.75 a gallon today. Five seventy-five. Oh, that's a trucker has to fill up a 200-gallon, 300-gallon tank. And then what? What's he going to do? Oh. He's not doing it for free, so he's got to raise his transportation costs. It's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. I mean, I've heard from a lot of our listeners and our viewers who talk about how you know they live in the Midwest or they live in so-called flyover country, and they have to fill up the gas tanks of tractors. You know, they have to drive as much as an hour to the gas uh, pump to begin with because they're not living right, you know, right next to to it. They're more rural based, and then they got to fill up huge tractors multiple times. I mean, that can you imagine how they are feeling these prices? These aren't rich people. These don't tend to be people who have tons of income uh, at the ready. And then on top of it, you see your 401k take a nosedive because the market's down 800 points because they can see what's coming, which is more interest rate heights, hikes. Yeah, yeah. And it is, and, and it is coming, and, and 401ks are going uh, to be hurt. But again, you know, we talk a lot Megan, it, it, as far as a, an investment strategy goes, if if you're on a, a, a regular investment strategy, stay with it, stay with yeah. it, because otherwise you're, you're playing games with trying to time markets. And and the, even the pros have hard times doing that. So just do a regular don't panic over the course of time. Things will things will things will work out. It may take it may take a, a Republican Congress 
to stop some of the horrible, horrible legislation that they're pushing through with a with a with a Democrat House, Senate and, and White House. So maybe just having the, the Congress flip would be a I would say would be very positive to the market. It's so hard because the damage has been done. You know, to your point is it's been done. He's already already unleashed a lot of the problems that are causing this. And it's really hard to get that tiger back into the cage. Eric Bowling, I am not going to say anything, but I uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you soon about exciting. Things. <laughs> Maybe at a different time. Like, I, you know, we'll, perhaps. Stay tuned. Perhaps stay we'll tuned as they say different time of day um congrats to nothing to nobody and we'll talk soon <laughs> all right Megan, thanks always good to be, be on with you you too eric what a pleasure eric pulling everybody uh and now we turn our attention to january 6th and the committee's first primetime hearing last night how many they're gonna be they're gonna be seven they were like in our second hearing and in our 479th hearing see footnote 404 like it was like how long is this going to go on for? <laughs> Last night was the first primetime hearing. The next one's already ac- coming on Monday, actually, at 10 in the morning. I guess they're not all primetime. Um, the corporate media, very excited about all the supposedly new revelations. Um, really? What specifically? What did we actually learn? Anything? Joining me now, our pal Michael Knowles, the host of The Michael Knowles Show on The Daily Wire. Michael, great to have you back. What were your impressions of January 6th theater? Megan, it is so good to be with you. I so enjoy speaking with you that I actually watched some of the January 6th hearings. (laughs) I had absolutely no intention of watching even a second of it. It's such a farce. It's such a joke. But I said, no, I'm going on Megyn Kelly's show. She expects me to have seen this. And so by golly, I'm going to do it. You're a good man. Don't let anybody tell you different. Don't listen to the the God King, Jeremy Boring (laughs) over at Daily Wire. So to me, I'll tell you this. Let me start. I'll take the first shot at it. As a lawyer, I was offended by the absence of a defense. (laughs) You know how easy it is to go into a courtroom and win a case when there's nobody on the other side? Just me? Back to me again? Great. No cross-examination of my witnesses. No differing perspective. No caution exercised because I know I'm going to get slammed if I misrepresent. Great. I'd have 100%. Can you say batting average? I don't understand the sports analogy. I'd win every case is what I'm trying to say. And it was readily apparent last night. And, and um, you know, there were obvious misrepresentations on some of the facts, obvious misrepresentations, which they weren't called out for. But I have to say, like, There were manipulations, Michael, and I'll give you one that I just texted my team as a television person and a lawyer. One of the things I noticed in their pre-produced package that the media was salivating over was the track, the audio track that accompanied it of like, ah, 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 this. ah." It never deviated. And the scenes changed. There was a still shot of a noose. There was shot of one mob in one part of the Capitol, a different shot of a different piece of the mob in a different part of the Capitol, a shot of the mob ascending the stairs to the Capitol, and the audio never changed. Now, that is unethical. As a journalist, you could be fired for doing such a thing. That's a theatrical trick that you do to sort of amp up people's emotion. But as if I ever tried that on a package for Brit Hume on special report, he would have fired me. 
You're, you can't do that. It's a manipulation. And in a court of law, it would never be allowed. That That's why you have an opposing counsel to make sure that what's being introduced in front of the trier of fact is fair and, and fairly and accurately represents the events as they went down that day. You can't just find the most incendiary audio track, lay it under all your various pictures and say, see how bad it was? That's just one example. That's a perceptive observation, Megan, and it it is propaganda, what we're seeing. On the bright side, I don't think that it's persuading anybody. And it gets to your first point, which is that there was no opposition here. This was the biggest mistake that Pelosi and the Democrats made with regard to the January 6th hearings. The Republicans were going to play ball. Whether or not it was a good idea for the Republicans to play ball remains an open question, but they were willing to play ball. And then Pelosi rejected Jim Jordan and Jim Banks from being on the committee. She would only allow the squishy fake Republicans to come on who are effectively just Democrats like Liz Cheney. So at that point, the Republicans had the perfect out to say, "Okay, you're not going to allow real Republicans to be on this committee. So we're we're not going to participate in this. You don't get you don't want Jim Jordan. You don't want Jim Banks. We're out. And and so now it just looks like such obvious theater. If you if you had real Republicans on that committee sitting there, pushing back, grilling, many more people would be watching this and it would be having a far greater effect on the political discourse. It would seem like this really, really matters. But as it is now, it's just one long, fairly poorly produced Democrat campaign ad. And and people, regardless of their partisan inclinations, just don't really care about that so much. It's it's not going to have the midterm election effect that they wanted it to. It's so true. It's like, and now here to defend Trump, the Lincoln Project. I mean, it's like just because (laughs) these two people, Cheney and Kinzinger, have an R in name only after their names at this point does not mean that they are actually going to provide the defense perspective, which would have been illuminating. But by the way, already happened at the impeachment hearing because we've been through this already. Right. So it's like we've done this already. Uh, We did hear a defense. And by the way, he wasn't found guilty. Um, So what why are we doing this again? I'll give you another misrepresentation that jumped out at me. Um, as part of the salivated over video uh, tape that they showed at the end in order to bring home the dramatic moment. And don't forget, they hired James Gold, James Goldston of ABC News, who is the guy who changed GMA into more of a salacious type morning program uh, effectively for ratings. But this is my point is he's not a Brit Hume. Um, they hired him to produce everything. And you look at this package and it ends with like the zinger, right? They've built up your emotion with the sound and blah, blah. And it ends with Trump, uh, just just voiceover of Trump um, saying these were peaceful people. These were great people. And, and I there was love in the air. OK, when you hear it after having watched them battle with police and storm the Capitol, you're like, oh, my God, Trump. And I knew as soon as I heard it, I remembered this interview he gave to Maria Bartiromo seven months after the fact. And I said to my team, could you please go back and check? Because I guarantee you he was not talking about the mob in the Capitol, that he was talking about the people at his rally prior who were peaceful. Listen to what they did. And and I was right. So here's the soundbite played. This is from their package, from their you know extraordinary video that they played last night. Listen, watch. People. These were great people. The crowd was unbelievable. And I mentioned the word love, the love, the love in the air. I've never seen anything like it. Look at that. Okay, so before we get to the full soundbite, so dishonest. They run that over over an event 
that he was not talking about. Again, you would be fired. Your ass would be fired from any news organization and you would be kicked out of court if you tried to submit that in a court of law. And here is the, here is more of the interview he gave to Maria Bartiromo on July 11th, 2021 um, for greater context. And a tremendous number of people, the largest one I've ever spoken before is called by people, by patriots. And they asked me if I'd speak, and I did. And it was a very mild-mannered speech, as I think has been. In fact, they just came out with a report in Congress, and they didn't mention my name, literally. But what they were complaining about, and the reason, in my opinion, you had over a million people there, which the press doesn't like to report at all, because it shows too much, uh, too much activity, too much, too much uh, spirit and faith and love. There was such love at that rally. You had over a million people there. They were there for one reason, the rigged election. They felt the election was rigged. That's why they were there. And they were peaceful people. These were great people. The crowd was unbelievable. And I mentioned the word love, the love, the love in the air. I've never seen anything like it. And, you know, that's why they went to Washington. Michael, so dishonest. Well, this is what they did to Trump at Charlottesville, too. They used this clip of Trump after Charlottesville when he said there were very fine people on both sides of the issue of removing a Confederate statue. He immediately afterwards said, I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis. I'm not talking about the white nationalists. They should be condemned totally. But they clip that out. And then what do they do? They put the the clip of him talking about fine people over the images of neo-Nazis and white supremacists and all the rest of them. You, You knew this was going to be dishonest from the outset. There was a Democrat congressman from Mississippi who opened up the hearings and he said, those people that I saw on January 6th, they remind me of the Ku Klux Klan and the white supremacists that I had that I had seen in Mississippi. And obviously, that's not an argument. He's not presenting any evidence of any connection between the Ku Klux Klan and the people who went to the Capitol. It was just so emotionally manipulative. And I just don't think it's really working. You know, the Democrats have tried to pretend that the mob going into the Capitol is the worst assault on our sacred temple of democracy in history. And it's just not true. 1915, a Harvard professor set off a bomb in the Senate, blew up the Senate reception room. 1954, I believe it was, there was a group of Puerto Rican activists shot up the House of Representatives, injured five congressmen. 1971, Weather Underground, a radical leftist group, bombed the Capitol. 1983 or 1984, another leftist group, the Armed Resistance Unit, bombed the Capitol. By comparison to that, the horn hat guy dancing around the rotunda is child's play. It just doesn't rank. And furthermore, the reason this doesn't resonate with people is because we know that what happened on January 6th is not only not the worst insurrection in American history, it wasn't the worst insurrection of the year. (laughs) That would have been BLM, which Mm -hmm. spent eight months killing dozens of people. The January 6thers didn't kill anybody. BLM killed dozens of people, attacked multiple federal buildings, and burned down cities coast to coast. So ordinary Americans in the middle, frankly, I think even center left, and certainly the conservatives are watching this, and they're saying, look, you're presenting us with a highly sensationalized, largely fictional narrative, and we're just not going to buy that. Yeah. 
2000 cops injured in the context of the BLM riots, and they want to look like they love cops by putting this one woman uh, up to testify yesterday. And what she went through seemed highly unpleasant. I don't dispute that for one moment. And it was wrong. It was wrong what they did to them, what they did to those cops. But these Democrats acting like they care deeply about police officers after ginning up the crowds against them for an entire year plus. I mean, please, nobody believes that they're using these cops for political purposes. But you raise a good point because that's another lie they told last night about how five police officers they've been pushing this. The news media has been pushing this. The Democrats have been pushing this. We heard it last night. You'll hear in this butted soundbite I'm about to play. The last person on there um, is uh, Congressman Thompson, who who continued the lie about five cops being killed either at the January 6th riot or because of dying because of the January 6th riot. And um uh, in particular, the, Brian Sicknick is one of them, but he's just one of the five. Listen, we did put together a little sop montage of the claims, which are untrue. Listen. They beat a Capitol Police officer to death with a fire extinguisher. Officer Brian Sicknick died after being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher during the fight. He died at the age of 42 after he was bludgeoned with a fire extinguisher. Literally criminals to break through cordon go into the capitol kill a police officer i know that some of the witnesses from our first hearing are in the room with us along with some of the family members friends and widows of the officers who lost their lives as a result of the attack as a result Okay, now Tucker addressed this last night. We've addressed it on our show. Glenn Greenwald's done great reporting on this. Brian Sicknick, according to the D.C. medical examiner, had not suffered any blunt force trauma. He died of a stroke in his office later. Um, And by the way, no one's been charged in connection with Brian Sicknick's death. And as for the police officers who later committed suicide, that's what they're talking about with the with the five. Uh, deceased police officers, the chief of the D.C. police has said publicly he has no idea whether those officers were driven to suicide by January 6th. Obviously, it's a very tough job and it had been a very tough year for cops in America that again, the blatant using they're using these cops and their unfortunate deaths to try to make a political point. They are. And the Democrats in Congress are still shamelessly doing it. The establishment media have since backed off it a little because it's just such a brazen lie. But but even so, they would run the story on page A1. So you'd see Capitol police, Capitol rioters, murder, Capitol police officer, Brian Sicknick, they hit him with a fire extinguisher. That would be the, the story on the front page. And then later on, they correct the story. But where do they correct it? On page Z, 1000. Now, you, you, the tweet that says that the January 6thers killed the police officer gets a gazillion retweets. And then the correction that you get from the media is, is barely noticed. And so mm-hmm. the propaganda has its effect. It, it's been so effective, in fact, that the Democrats in Congress right now can still uh, continue to perpetuate that with a straight face. I I never want to attribute to malice that which is equally explained by stupidity. And I don't think that the average IQ of this committee is particularly high. Uh, But if it is ignorance right now, someone should correct the record because if it's it's an intentional lie, they are, as you say, 
abusing these uh, cops and their families, exploiting their deaths for their own political purposes. It's, it's a disgraceful and shameful thing, though in a year or two years where the Democrats have been consistently attacking cops, I guess it's no surprise. Well, that's the thing, right? It's like if we're going to do that, OK, and, and I don't know, may, maybe the stress of that day did factor in in some way. I would I would be open minded to evidence of that. But what about the, the stress of what the Democrats did to these cops over the previous year. Right. Look, look what happened to these cops. N- even before George Floyd, they were being demonized by Democrats and called racists and investigation after investigation into police department after police department because of uh, w- one suspicious arrest, even one that would later be found. OK, would lead to investigations in the Obama administration. It's like, like if we're going to do this. We're going to try to say if a, when a police officer commits suicide, it's directly because of this stressful event. We're going to be here for a long time. And it just to me is yet another manipulation because they don't have what they really need, Michael. They don't have the smoking gun of Trump saying we're going to the Capitol. We're storming the Capitol. We're taking back this election. We're not letting the electors pass their votes or cast their votes. And this is an insurrection. We're not giving up power. It's all rhetoric by Trump around it. Like, be strong. And Mike Pence better do the right thing. Of course, Trump was wrong about that. We Trump lost the election. I've said that repeatedly. His own daughter said it last night. She believed Bill Barr. Fine. You can disagree with that if you want. But He's entitled to his belief. He actually is entitled to his belief. It's whether he caused a riot, whether he caused it in the eyes of the law. The answer to that is no. And they have nothing, by the way. This is how you know that the rest of the hearings are going to be extremely boring. And they'll try to insinuate lots of things. They might even lie a little bit, but they won't have that smoking gun. The way you know that is because if they had the smoking gun, we would have already heard about it. That is not the same thing as when Republicans hold a hearing. When Republicans hold a hearing, sometimes they can present new information. The reason for that is that the media hate the Republicans. The media and the Democrats are on the same side. They work together. They they collude, to use a popular word. And so we would have already heard it from the Democrats' mouthpieces in the establishment media, whereas sometimes Republicans need these sorts of political stunts even to get the message out. But we haven't had it. It's been a year and a half now. We don't have anything. In fact, the most damning evidence that the Democrats did have in January and February of 2021 has been disproven at this point. So they've got nothing and you're going to have Liz Cheney making lots of uh, hot air, but blowing out hot air and grandstanding in her fleeting moments left in Congress. You're going to have the Democrats try to get some good campaign ads out of this. I don't even think they're going to get that. And then everyone's going to move on because because the American people, if you couldn't convince them to care about this in February and March of 2021, you're certainly not going to convince them to care about it a year and a half later. Yeah, that's right. Legally, to prove incitement, it, you ha- there's a much higher bar and they have not reached it. This is a political hit. And that's fine. I mean, it's, it's fine to go after Trump politically because he was the sitting president and he wasn't accepting reality. And he did say a lot of things that got people upset and caused them to believe that the election could be overturned and so on. Like, I'm not excusing his rhetoric around the election. But what I'm saying is that legally they don't have him. And so politically, they already took their shot. They already took their shot, right? Like they they impeached the guy for political purposes. They weren't able to get a conviction. And now they're going back for another bite at the apple pretty openly because they want to get a political let up leg up before the midterm elections. That's what this is about. Only this time there's no one there to defend Trump. I mean, it's it's just the most nakedly partisan thing I've seen done in a long time. I'll give you one other thing. 
there's there. I guess their smoking gun that they thought they had was um, a suggestion by Liz Cheney, who came out of her mouth, not a witnesses that um, that Trump, when listening to his supporters set chant, hang Mike Pence may have reportedly said something like good idea or, you know, maybe yeah. my supporters are on to something. got it coming. <laughs> OK, right. That that was not introduced into evidence that came from her mouth about something that we may or may not learn. He's already denied it. Right. But this is what they do. They sprinkle. And then the media, it's, it's a big headline today. They're all running with that. That's not in evidence. That's why people need to keep in mind there are no standards to what they're putting in front of you. It is theater. And it ought to be treated as such. I'll give you the last word. You're absolutely right on this, Megan. The reason they are going to continue this, though, is because they truly have nothing else. I don't say this just because I'm a conservative and I'm a Republican. They have nothing that they can possibly run on in the midterms. The economy is in the doldrums and no one believes them when they say it's in a good spot. They can't run on foreign policy. We've got the first major war in Europe breaking out since World War II. That's not going to work. They can't even run on COVID. That was the one issue that they were above water on. But even that they've botched and they're underwater on COVID. They could they could try to bring it back, I guess. But I think people are past their lockdowns and their mandates and their masks. So they have truly nothing else. And, and the only message that you're going to hear from now until the midterms is, do you remember Remember how bad that awful mean tweeting orange man was. And frankly, when people are paying $7 a gallon for gas, I don't think they're going to look on the, the Trump years as the, the horrible uh, insurrectionist mayhem that the Democrats are trying to paint. I think they're probably going to look on it fondly and say, maybe these Democrats aren't giving us what, what they promised us we would. Mm-hmm. It felt like weird anti-Trump porn. You know, the people who hate him were like, <laughs> yeah. Back to the anti-Trump stuff. God, he was such a fun villain. Let's get him. What else can we misrepresent? Yeah, let's do it. No one's going to hold us to account. It's the media's on our side. This is good. Yeah, lay it in there. Fine. Put the scary quote over the noose. Do it. Anyway, people get it. I think they get it. Michael Knowles, you get it. As always, a pleasure. Great to be with you, Megan. Thanks. Coming up, we're switching gears this Friday with the hilarious comedian, Christina P. Don't go away. been a busy, serious week, and we need to switch gears before we go into this weekend, do we not? Comedian Christina P. joins us now for the first time to talk about the joys and drags of parenting, how to not kill your husband, and much, much more. A lot of stuff she's got some good wisdom on. Christina is the co-host of the wildly popular podcast, Your Mom's House, with her husband and fellow comedian Tom Segura. And she has a new special on Netflix called Mom Jeans, G-E-N-E-S, which will have you laughing out loud. Christina, so good to have you here. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to be here. I feel like I wrote the special just so I could do press and talk to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored. <laughs> I, I love your setup. It's very, well, what's going on? It looks like a throne that you're sitting in there. Of, of course it is. I, I, um, I've decided that I haven't moved past what I liked when I was 15 years old. So this is like my fantasy teenage bedroom. I can relate to that. Yeah, I'm going to get quirk <laughs> M-E-G-Y-N letters for my my master bedroom soon. I'm inspired. <laughs> Remember that? Why not? Did you ever have that when you were growing up? Wait, what was it? The quirk letters, you know, your name in quirk. <laughs> I, I wish. I wish my parents were um, that savvy enough to get stuff like that for me. Yeah, that's right. You you talk openly about how they might not have been 100% there for you at all times. Uh <laughs> Like, but that that's what led to your great gift as a comedian. 
Well, it doesn't. Isn't that what leads to a great career in show business? I mean, first of all, I'm a huge fan of you. I listen to your podcast, oh. and yeah, if you would have told me five years ago that I would be on Megyn Kelly's show, I'd be like, no way. But I think the world has changed so much, and now I listen to you, and I'm like, yeah, this this broad saying some smart stuff, and <laughs> and we're both for freedom of speech, and I hate cancel culture too, and um, yeah, I'm just so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I, I saw that you studied philosophy and I was like, yeah. I know I know I'm going to like talking to her because it does give you just a different way of looking at the world. And it does give you like an open mindedness that the way you see things might not be the only way. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I think that's why it's so frustrating for me now, especially as a comedian, um, to see people getting canceled. Like what happened to being able to listen to anybody and just take what you like. You know, I mm -hmm. listen to you and, and I agree with some stuff and then I go, nah, 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 but I take and then you form an opinion and that's okay. And it, it breaks my heart that people's lives are getting ruined. I was listening to Elia Shapiro mm -hmm. on your show last week and that guy's life was ruined from that whole Georgetown thing. And you're like, because of a, a tweet? Yes. Are you kidding me? Oh my God, that reminds me. I'm actually going to pull this up. So he basically had his life ruined for this tweet he sent out and immediately apologized for and tried to reword about um, Joe Biden saying he's only going to pick a black woman for the Supreme Court seat being vacated by Breyer. And um, Ilya said, well, you should really pick this guy on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. He's Indian and he's so he's got diversity, but he's brilliant. And if you pick anybody less than him, they're going to be less qualified by definition. And the way he landed the tweet was instead, we're going to get stuck with a lesser black woman. He didn't mean black women are lesser by definition. He just meant yeah. anybody other than this guy. So his life was blown up. They put him on suspension for four months at this job. He's about to start at Georgetown. They finally said, OK, you can come because you didn't technically belong to Georgetown yet when you tweeted it. And Ilya, to his credit, walked. He basically gave him the middle finger and said, thanks, but no thanks. I'm joining the Manhattan Institute. So yay. But can I tell you something? I'm scrolling mm. Twitter the other day and there is a woman. She's not at Georgetown. She's at Stanford, Stanford Law, named Michelle Dauber. OK, and she was pissed off about the Johnny Depp verdict. And OK, that's fine. But she went on a tear about women lawyers who defend men in particular in any Me Too situation that you tell me why Michelle Dauber is not suspended at Stanford. Listen to this. Of all the women who suck up to male power, women lawyers are the absolute worst of the bunch. Desperate to prove they are real lawyers and understanding that being a woman undermines their identity as lawyers, they throw women under the bus as hard and fast as they can. Then she goes on this little like rant of she shows uh, this one female lawyer, Bill Cosby's skirt, another female lawyer. Brock Turner's skirt, Aaron Persky's skirt, Harvey Weinstein's skirt, Cuomo's skirt, Cuomo's other skirt, Weinstein's wannabe skirt. All you sellouts are going on blast today. R. Kelly's skirt. <laughs> from uh, How does this woman <laughs> still have her university job teaching young lawyers? Oh, no. I know. And look, I'm I'm no lawyer, but I did spend two whole weeks in law school and I dropped out <laughs> and. I look isn't isn't the job of, of the law to give the best possible case for everybody. The, the law is blind. Isn't that the whole point? Yes. Everyone is entitled to a lawyer, a defense lawyer, criminal, civil, doesn't matter uh, why I don't get to represent anybody accused of me, too, because I have a vagina. 
Michelle, you might not understand the rules of womanhood. We're going to have to chat. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think you're not supposed to call yourself a woman. You're you're a person with a vagina now, right? That's right. Oh, that's true. Just a person with a vagina. But men still get to be men. Men don't just have to be like a person with penis. That's true. And did you know that men are not um, fat models, that only women are fat models? Oh, my did God. You- I never thought of that. Yeah. Did you see the um, the swimsuit? What is it called? Yes. Sports Illustrated. Did you yes. see the... the f- yeah. Yes, the swimsuit issue. Yes, I did. And it's the irony is, is that it's a f- men's fitness magazine. <laughs> and there's point. a really overweight lady uh, on the cover. And anyway, I, I tweeted, I'm like, supermodel, more like supper model. And it's not even that great of a tweet. But boy, did it start a firestorm. And did and, you uh, get a shitstorm? Real- sure did. And it felt really good because it, it's <laughs> absurd. It, it's all absurd. The thing is, like, Jordan Peterson got like, chastised yeah. for saying he did not find the heavyset gal. I can, forgive me. I don't I didn't know her. Uh, I don't know her name. Uh, beautiful. He said not beautiful. Now, that is his opinion. He is not required to think yeah. this person is beautiful. Like you can totally disagree with him. You can say you're a douchebag. But why does he have to be run off Twitter for saying not for me? Sorry. I know. And I love that you said douchebag. And I love when you curse. It's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new me. I mean, it's the I true love- me. I think it is. Yeah. Because you dropped an F bomb last week and I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to all those years on, you know, cable and network television. So I sometimes I really had to try hard to filter because I do have a mouth like a sailor. I know. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I couldn't fit I you know, I tried to fit into polite society. Like I said, I was a, I was in law school for two whole weeks and then I had twenty-two jobs in four years after college that I either got fired from or quit. <laughs> and and then I found comedy and I was like, This is perfect. I get paid to be an asshole. Okay, and, so I have a question about that for you. Yeah. I have a question about that. So so we kind of have a similar job hazard when we're off duty in that we're used to saying things that normal people might find offensive (laughs) (laughs) and saying them a lot. So like if you go out to dinner with new people, are you like, do you censor or what do you do? Let me tell you. So I feel like I've kept my circle pretty insulated. Like everybody that works here in Studio Jeans, we, we call Studio Jeans a safe space because you're allowed to say whatever you want. So I feel like I, I don't even let that into my circle. Like you'd be kicked out so fast. Yeah. Uh, so the short answer is no, I don't censor. And uh, you can tell pretty quick who's who's down for you and who's not. Yes, yes. I, I So we just moved to a new town this year and I'm just in the process of meeting people. It tends to be other moms, you know? Yeah. And I'm always thinking in the back of my head, edit, edit, edit. Not everybody talks like you. Not everybody will touch these third rail subjects casually over dinner. Be careful. <laughs> I know. And that that's actually how I found your podcast, because we were living in Los Angeles during the pandemic, the pandy. And uh, there was a point where I, you know, I grew up liberal as can be. I grew up in Los Angeles and I'm like a 90s liberal. And um, there was a point where I was looking around and, and I'm like, wait a minute, people are wearing their N95s alone in the car. And wait a minute, I'm not so sure I, I need to wear a mask when I'm out walking in the open air. And my two-year-old certainly doesn't need to wear a mask. And I found these other moms who on the down low agreed with me and it became in hushed tones like, you should listen to Megan Kelly. You should listen to her. She has good ideas. And I was like, oh my gosh. And it opened up this whole world of like 
yeah, I, I agree with you on so many issues. Um, and we decided to leave L.A. Not that I'm pooing, poo-pooing L.A. because I it's still my I love it. I love it. I just think they're in a, a weird place. Um, when I applied my son to kindergarten and they asked me what his pronouns were. Oh, good God. <laughs> and I'm like, he um, he still can't wipe his butt. I don't think he knows. <laughs> like, still up to us. And it's as identified. It should be clear. Uh, yeah. And like, I'm so sick of people saying that there's no gender difference between little boys and girls. And if you've raised children, especially boys, I have two little boys, three and six. Uh, there's a difference. Like, <laughs> oh, it's all a social construct. Girls are the same. Really? Have you seen a six year old girl piss out a campfire? <laughs> I have So, I mean, I have to say she's coming around to it. But like my daughter's nowhere near as obsessed with poops and farts and butts as my boys are <laughs> oh my god no i know you have an affinity for this humor too you can grow I into do. it you know you can grow into it but i don't think they're born with an affinity for it the way that you know the cross-gender people might tell us is universal no and like i get so sick and tired of people like leave just leave kids alone let them figure stuff out i think when we're so quick to label it just i mean imagine being like, for instance, in the 90s, I was dressing up like Robert Smith of The Cure. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'm not trans now. Pictures are <laughs> I just wanted happen. to piss off my mom, you know. <laughs> yes. uh, but uh, yeah, just let let, let them be. Uh, and they're always like, tell kids to be themselves. Like, you don't have to tell them to be themselves. They, I feel like yeah, they know. On it. Can I, t I have to tell you a story on the subject about the masks? I just heard this and we haven't covered it in a while. Friends of mine in Pennsylvania uh, put their kids in private school because they were trying to rush away from the crazy COVID policies of the public school and the crazy, you know, critical race theory, all that stuff. And um, the private school wound up being more insane on all of this than the public school. And their, their one child's school, I think this is a different private school, but in private right now, okay, June is making the children young. Like, I think that their little guys only five, four, four, four or five, wear an N95 all day <gasps> with with another mask on top, <laughs> even while outside. No. Yes. No. How insane is that? They're at their wit's end. <laughs> That's like when you see these lunatics um, in the airport wearing hazmat suits. Remember yes. that? I don't know if yes. you ever traveled. And of wearing course. masks on masks. That's how I know who I'm not going to talk to when I yeah. see the double masker. Yeah, yeah. Just setting them up for mental illness and not making friends in life. Well, somebody was just lamenting how we get on the airplane now. We just look down at our devices and we don't <laughs> talk to the person next to us anymore. And I have to say, I like that. That's one yeah. good thing about the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure I'm bummed about that. It's pretty cool for me. Mm -mm, no, I, I there's one time I sat down on a plane and I wound up next to the guy who bought Penthouse. He bought it. Bob Guccione put it into bankruptcy and this guy bought it. And it led to this hilarious exchange. But we basically talked about porn for like two hours. I'm like, I don't know if I put this in the good quality or the bad. Like, which category does this go in this this airline ride? <laughs> Did you talk about like the ki kinds of porn? Yes. He was talking about how he, he was a real estate baron and he kind of got into porn by accident and how now like his wife who is this respectable wife of a successful realtor wound up going with him to these like porn industry oscar type events where they're literally be like <laughs> and for best anal and he'd be like yes that's our girl 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We um we I love I know the AVN awards. Yes, we we played clips on your mom's house of this this girl. Um what was her name, mommy? My staffer's here. She goes, it's a famous clip where she goes, um, she goes, I was it wasn't until they said you have two in you, you have three in you, that I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. I'm <laughs> proud of myself. Really, you're proud of yourself. Wow. Okay, we had her on our show to explain why she was proud of herself. It oh was, my god, uh, Jules Ventura. Yeah. What? Well, why? What was the answer? Well, <laughs> thank you for asking. <laughs> I, I love that we're doing this kind of thought-provoking stuff on your show. This is all I've ever wanted is to talk about a woman that had two in her or three in her with, with Megan Kelly. Um, <laughs> She said that because her her vagina and her anus are like muscles, that it was an athletic feat. <laughs> like it was like I stretched, I did it. I'm I'm proud of myself. <laughs> well, no, mate, we had this woman over to our home. We fed her dinner. Like I, we oh ended up God. being friends with her, sweetest lady. Oh, I'd love to hear the background on how she got to that point in life. <laughs> All right, stand by. Let me do a quick commercial, and we'll come back sure. because clearly there's a lot more to go over with Christina P. <laughs> And don't forget, folks, you can see The Megyn Kelly Show in many venues, youtube.com, download his podcast and listen to us live on Sirius XM Triumph Channel every day at noon. Your journey through motherhood from oh, yeah. you know the, be- the beginning right to where you are now with a six and a three year old, two boys, uh, is absolutely hilarious. But what's great about you is like, unlike most of us, you can find the way in and the way out. The most of it's just like, well, that was annoying. And you're like, oh, no, 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 this is a comedy moment. Like, I can do something with this. Or we're like, that was traumatic. And you're like, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to make people laugh about this. Uh, you do a bit on natural birth that oh. um, certainly people, this is from an earlier special, but it sort of sets up where we're going to go in your later mom journey. This is Soundbite 9. All these nutbags in LA, they're like, oh, Christina, you got to have that baby naturally. You gotta do it natural. You gotta give birth naked in a creek. (laughs) You can bite on branches for the pain. (laughs) What, women have been doing it that way for thousands of years. Well, yeah, before drugs were invented. (laughs) They were like, Christina, what's your birth plan? I was like, motherfucker, I plan on not feeling shit. <laughs> Give me the 1950s birth. Put me out. Wake me up three days later with a baby and a martini. <laughs> In oh the end, gosh. that's not how it went for you, however. No, I I wanted it to go that way. I planned a C-section, but um, that that joke actually came from a real video. If you Google "woman gives birth in creek," she did it in Australia. Oh my! And she gave birth on rocks, Kelly, like oh squatting God. on rocks, and then like all the villagers came out to take a peek. <laughs> so no unsanitary. <laughs> Plus, what if the creek's like really raging that day? Off he goes. Wait. It doesn't seem like a good idea. Did you did you uh, do a natural? I, I, I assume you had like um, your relatives in the room with you and no, hell birth. no, hell no. I did a C section for all three kids. I feel like I got lucky because I I 
I was fine not doing a vaginal birth. You know, I felt like I'd already blown out my stomach and I didn't need to blow out the vag situation. Um, But I would have I was prepared to go natural. But then uh, my first child was what they call transverse, like he was diagonal. And they were like, if he straightens out before it's time, you can go natural. But otherwise, we think we should schedule it. I was like, fine, go ahead and schedule it. So then once you have one by C-section, then they're like, would you like a V-back? you know, vaginal birth after C-section. I'm like, well, then I'm just blowing everything out. Then I have no abs left. I have no vag left. I'm like, can't we keep something tight? And, you know, like. <laughs> I, 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 I agree. You know, I scheduled my C-section and then on the morning of my scheduled C-section, I went into labor. And so I had to do it vaginally. But yep. I know this is like so TMI on your show. But uh, yeah, I, they had to give me, you know, episiotomies. I've had two. So yeah. Uh, it's uh, so yeah, I didn't get to save my vag, which is uh, such a bummer. <laughs> but, but you can reconstruct. I mean, I I know enough yeah. of my friends that like there are ways back. It's not a total surrender. It's just a rough ride. <laughs> oh, you give me the names of these friends. I'm going to call them. <laughs> I will. Oh, can I tell you something? No, this is yes. a true story. I was going to see. I can't remember. It was my derm or my dent. I don't remember who it was, but one of my doctors and his office was under construction. So he was like loaning an office from he was renting whatever from a different doctor. And it turns out that other doctor was some sort of a vag reconstruction doctor. <gasps> so I had to go into these offices. I swear I wasn't getting vag reconstruction. Everything was intact because of my three C-sections. Anyway, I sat in the chair. I was fully clothed. It must have been a derm. I don't remember, Abby. Did did we talk about this? But anyway, I sat in the chair and there is a full floor to ceiling mirror like right in front of you and there's nothing obstructing. And if I hadn't had my clothes on, I mean, it would be a straight shot right out the hoo-ha and then they would walk you through all that they, I mean, there are ways back, sister. I'm doing it. (laughs) Listen, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to be in LA for the summer. I'm going to go, I'm going to look at Beverly Hills and I'm going to get it taken care of. But yeah. Um, it's all good. You know, it's all good. And I, I think that's the surrender you you make when you have children. You're like, look, I, I had 40 good years with the uh, with perky boobs and, a, and tight abs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's a sacrifice you make. But well, you look great. I mean, what no, are you well, thank doing? You. Are you Pilates thank you. or um, I'm I'm no, I don't exercise. That's the truth. I've been through stints where I exercise. But no, I'm I'm not a big exerciser. I uh, I do. I know you mock it, but I do do the intermittent fasting. I do too. I'm, I'm embarrassed to tell you. Oh, good, because I heard you do a bit on it. I, I was like, oh, I'm ashamed to tell her. <laughs> wait, and I have something else to tell you about, though. Oh, wait, I yeah. forgot to mention. I buried the lead. Three weeks before Memorial Day, I put on this show, Dr. Kate Shanahan, Kate with a C, and Mark Sisson, who's a, who's a nutritionist and has a whole line of like foods. It's called Primal Kitchen. Because I was like, I want to mm-hmm. lose five pounds by Memorial Day. And it's not like I'm overweight. You know, I just want to lose a few extra pounds and you're going into like the bathing suit weather. People can relate. Um, I'm like, so let's find some people. Can I tell you? life-changing. I have bought all of their books. I have the audio version. I have the hard copy version. I got rid of the hateful eight vegetable oils. I've been Mm. like decreasing the grains and the sugars, which I didn't think Mm. I could ever do. And now I have trained my body to eat its own previously toxic fat instead of me running to the pantry for the sugary stuff. I'm telling you, go back and download that pod. It's a game changer. What is it again? Tell me. What Steve Cracker, tell me what episode that was so we can make it easier on her. But um, it's Mark Sisson and mm-hmm. Dr. Kate Shanahan. His book is Two Meals a Day, which is like you need I to read that. that. And then hers is, I think, uh, The Fat Burner Fix. Episode 321. 321. Start there. 
Yeah, I will. Thank you. Because I, I basically do like one blowout meal a day. I'm pretty sure any dietitian will tell you this is a very good idea. So I, I barely eat dinner. And then I wake up, I skip breakfast, and then I have the guys order Torchy's tacos, like a buffet. And then I <laughs> eat queso and chorizo and avocado and I gorge myself and that's it. And, and they, they, I, they that's might support I that. It's you'd be surprised. So I'll just it's sorry to go off on this tangent, but he's got this one recipe in his book, which I've been eating nonstop. And you would never think you could eat this and stay thin. It's like it's like a taco casserole. And it's oh. two pounds of ground beef on top of cauliflower rice, which I'm like, that's going to be disgusting. Wrong. Mm. Once it's mixed into a casserole, you can't even tell it's cauliflower rice, cheese, avocado, um, mm. all these spices, um, olives, if you want them. Uh, salsa. I, I could go on. E everyone in my family loves it. You can eat like caloric, high fat mm -hmm. things. You just can't eat a ton of sugar or pasta mm -hmm. or, you know, all like the grains and like the the gluten stuff has got to go. And let me tell you something else that I love about this. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even getting paid for any of this shit. This is real. This is a legit feeling. You I'm no longer bloated mm -hmm. at night. What mm -hmm. woman isn't bloated at night? We're all bloated at night. I've had 51 years bloated at night. I, I, I I'm like, oh, my God, it's working. But can you can you drink wine? Yes, you can drink wine. Mark That's Sisson, it. he he orders like the organic, the lower sugar wine. That was too much for me. I'm still drinking the regular wine. And if you drink alcohol, like, I mean, liquor, you can do that. Like if you mix it with a club soda, you know, he doesn't want a bunch of he would. I think he would allow like a little touch of an OJ or a touch of a cranberry juice. But anyway, it's game changing. You're not mm. hungry. If you want a dessert after dinner, you can have like two squares of dark chocolate as long as it's like 70 or 80 percent cacao, which is actually quite satisfying. I, I'm telling you, people, I hate that. I, you're word. welcome. It's time. I, cacao. It feels weird. It's so it feels. Hey, you're you're culturally appropriating there. I don't think you're supposed to say it that way. <laughs> I know. What am I supposed to say? Gosh. Well, Co I'm hooked now that I live in the South, y'all. I'm so big into Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. Now, the only problem is that they're closed on Sunday because that's oh. the day that they they grind up the gay people to make the biscuits. <laughs> and you know, I love it. I love Chick-fil-A. It's so and, good. And you can have fried chicken. <gasps> really? Yep. It's on the OK list as long as it wasn't fried in one of the hateful eight vegetable oils. Olive oil's cool. Right. Coconut oil's cool. Butter's awesome. You, and you'll go see the list of the hateful eight, like canola, corn, soy oil, all that stuff's got to go. I'm on it. I know. I'm telling you. So, yes, I. Really? how has the move to Austin been? Because you, like so many people, fled the state of California for, <laughs> I, I don't know if we can say greener pastures, but certainly more reasonable pastures. Yeah. Look, I again, I'm I'm a lifetime Angelino. I still have love for my city. I have faith that it will come back. California is the fifth largest economy in the world. It was. I don't know if it is now, but it will triumph again. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, Texas is fantastic. It has its own stuff. Um, I, I went to the Hobby Lobby to buy Halloween decorations <laughs> and they were like, ma'am, we don't sell Halloween decorations on account of our religious beliefs. And I was like, oh. well, I'm going to Michael's Arts and Crafts and Hail Satan. And then I, <laughs> I, so my friends from L.A. are like, Christina, how do you deal with the religious stuff? And I go, look, I made a decision. I either stay in L.A. and live with the woke or I move to Texas and I live with Jesus. 
And as far as I know, Jesus never hit anybody at the Oscars. So <laughs> I'm staying there for now. I think you made the right call. It's like my yeah. brother, he moved to Atlanta and he said for the first like 10 years, his neighbor kept inviting him to come over for church. And my brother kept inviting him to come over for a barbecue. And by mm. the end of the 10 years, they'd managed to combine it into a twofer and everybody won. <laughs> <laughs> but That's what's Austin adorable. like? Because it's kind of a liberal yeah. city in the midst of a red state. Yeah. So it's so unique that way. I feel like it's um, what the 90s was in San Francisco, kind of, which I, I live there in the 90s. So I, I, I like that a lot. Um, <clears throat> I love the Southern culture. They make a lot of chit chat and you and I are big city girls and we do not chit chat. So that's been sure. really hard. It's like it's like I have to pay the fucking boring toll every time I want to get something done. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like they talk about nothing. It's the hillbilly Seinfeld every day of my life. But <laughs> they're so sweet. Um, and I joined a women's book club like they're so oh. into community which is new for me too in LA I didn't even know my neighbors and now I belong to a women's book club and um all the books have been about husband murder which is a little <laughs> sure. weird sure <laughs> that makes sense yeah isn't Texas where we got the Texas cheerleading murder or the chainsaw wielding murdering mom like they're into that kind of thing I appreciate yeah. that as a crime consumer yeah but I like that they are, um, it feels normal here. Like I take my kids to birthday parties, like kindergarten parties, and they give the kids regular cupcakes, not gluten-free, sugar-free, yes. vegan cupcakes. And and they're like, yeah, it's a boy's party. So we're handing out, you know, toy guns and there's snakes hanging everywhere. And I'm like, yes. this is awesome. <laughs> so It's so true. Yeah. How How is it where you are? Is our Connecticut is more reasonable than Manhattan was for sure. It's a lot more fair and balanced. It's just like there are people who are a little bit more conservative and that's fine. But even the liberals here are not as hardcore woke progressives. There's a small sampling of it. But for the most part, people are just kind of reasonable and going about living their lives. But I have found as I put myself out there more, you know, like meet people, I have, had, I have to make an effort to meet people. Though Dr. Laura, who I know you also love, said, just let it happen naturally. I, I, I know, I know you love, I had her on my yeah, show. I had, the, I had the chance to ask her like all my questions. And she was like, you don't have to do that. She's like, just live your life and you know, it'll happen. But anyway, I have had the occasion to spend time with new, new moms, new people in my life. And I have really decided I'm very socially awkward. <laughs> I'm missing a bunch of skills. <laughs> the irony yeah, no, of not, that. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at small talk. And yeah. I, I just feel like a bull in a china shop. And I definitely say the wrong things a lot. Hello. That's but hey, thankfully, you and I have made a career on saying the wrong things a lot. Yeah. And people want to hear us say the wrong things. Well, and, and I think your observations are so funny about like hanging out with moms because I can hear your L.A. background. You know, they're like, I don't know, Connecticut's more of a it's got normal people. New York had just a lot of like granola. My friends are cool. They were awesome. But like, if you just walk down the street of New York, you'd see a lot of like Upper West Side liberals who, you know, would never wear a stitch of makeup and had some Birkenstocks on and maybe were carrying a sign for Greenpeace or, you know, Planned yeah. Parenthood. Here in Connecticut, they're more normal. This this bit from your your current special, Mom Jeans, uh, Perfect Moms, I'm, I'll play it and then we can talk about which state are we discussing? This is soundbite 14. <laughs> And I work on my perfectionism. That's a huge problem with me. 
you know, because I compare myself to those perfect moms. Oh, you know those bitches? <laughs> those perfect moms. Oh, they got four kids and somehow they're a size zero. <laughs> what does she say? Oh, I do intermittent fasting. <laughs> See? Like, yeah, so does half the Kelly. world. It's called starvation, bitch. <laughs> what it, the worst is when she's like, my husband is my best friend. <laughs> Gagging. Gross. These are the same people that mouth kiss their moms and dads. I know it. <laughs> no, your husband is not your best friend. Your best friend is the person you talk shit about your husband to. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so who are those moms? Are those your L.A. moms or are those your Austin moms? No, definitely. Like, hey, I've met some cool L.A. moms and I, I, I want to give some shout outs to those broads. But yeah, th there was definitely like the moms that drop off their kids in the Lululemon gear. And they're like, I'm going to do yoga right now. Like, bitch, no, you're not like you're tired. Like, you've got to be tired like the rest of us. Please tell me you're just going to go home and eat something and take a nap while your kids are at school. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, there's the pressure. But I feel like Texas moms are way, way cool. And I'm I'm really digging the vibe of just just survive, just especially the young years, like just get through it, you know. Yeah, that's right. It's so, yeah, because six and three is hard. Oh, I mean, I will say mine oh. are now twelve, eleven, and eight, and it's awesome now. It's so, but it got awesome. Yeah? You don't have to wait this long. It's gonna get really awesome really soon. What do you think? Like four, five. I think four, four is the crossover point for for a little guy. I think four is where they start to show like genuine signs of independence that you can exploit, and. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Certainly by five. But I mean, when they're five and and what what is it? The three year age of eight, five and eight, you're good. From that point forward, it's good, good, good. Okay. Now, are you best friends with your husband? Because I've heard you talk about him. But I think you I feel like you and I are similar in that we understand that men are from Mars and women are from Venus. I've been reading that book and there's definitely differences, you know? Yeah. I, I don't think I could say I wouldn't say he's my best friend. I don't I don't want my best friend on top of me. You know, I just like he needs you <laughs> just there needs to be some distance there yes. where there's like your their questions. You know, I always say Doug is the perfect amount of aloof. Like I'm I'm still chasing him and he's still chasing me. You know, I just I like that. And if 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 he were my best friend, it would be in the bag. I still feel like mm, anything could happen. You know, like, I don't know. I like the mystery that's involved in our relationship where he's still kind of pursuing me and whatever but my, no my best friends like that's the one you can have catty talk with you can be your okay. absolute worst self you know i try to bring my a game to my relationship with my husband <laughs> well yeah i mean I, I i i love your i love it aloof and mysterious like jackie onassis that's what she was yeah. and i really try to do that but then like what do you do when you have to make a brown um, no, you like, don't do that in front of him. I we I do not do cut our no no. You, we don't cut our toenails or our nails in front of each other. We don't go to the bathroom with like the stall open. You know the door open in front of one oh. another. If it, like he uses some spray on his feet, like his athletic foot, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, I'm like, don't do that in here. No, that's got to go the other room. Like certain things cannot happen. Even like pr pr uh, prancing around naked, I don't do that in front of Doug. Like he's got to earn it. That's got to be a moment. You know, it's like <laughs> if you just show it all the time, it's like not a special thing. <laughs> Speaking of foot spray, my, I was doing a Target run the other day and I was like, uh, do you need anything from Target? And my husband's like, yeah, foot spray. Good news is it can also street, uh, treat my jock itch because it kills the same fungus. <laughs> <sighs> and like, I want to be 
I want to be this woman of mystery, but like every time my husband uses the toilet, it looks like the bottom of a pudding cup. So Why I'm like, he I don't clean know. Up after himself, sweetie, we have a Toto. I have a Toto washlet. Like the toilet talks to you and. It doesn't. I don't know why. Maybe we should get a stronger one. Do you have a washlet? <laughs> no, have you done no. the Toto yet? Haven't done it. But I, whenever I go to a hotel and it's like cleaning me from below, it's like, whoa, how you doing? Oh, my gosh. I have to send you a tushy at least. You got to get into this. What do you mean? There's like a halfway there thing? Yeah. Well, OK, so tushy is like JV squad. It's like. You don't need a lot of um, you just install it and it squirts water up there. But then if you're ready to move on to varsity, I highly recommend the Toto Washlet 350E. You can get it on Amazon <laughs> and it, it squirts hot water and it's like a full cleaning, a drying. It, it just massages you. It tells you mm. you're a good person. It loves you. Mm. And if you want to get the whole toilet, well, that's another. Deal. I would. I would. I don't. It seems like a lot. I'm not sure. Like, I, unlike your husband, I'm, I'm not really getting all that messy. <laughs> Thatcher would love it. You're right. My, my eight-year-old. I'd never get him out of there. Oh, yeah. They love to push the buttons. My kids love to push the buttons on the Toto. Right? I mean, like, oh, your, your six-year-old, he must never leave the bathroom. No, they love it. They love it. It's uh, it's just all dicks all day in my house. It's, <laughs> well, speaking to, I, of that, are you going to yeah. go for the girl? Are you done? <laughs> I wish, you know, if I had started 10 years sooner, I think I would go for three. But yeah, I mean, I think I got the last egg out of me on that second baby. I did yep. IVF on my um, younger one. And I, you know, I do love having kids so much. I, I, I wish. But next lifetime. Yeah. But you know what? I also feel like it, it, whatever when it comes to children, it almost does feel like what's meant to be will happen. You know, like I'll bet you that this is what you're meant to have. For whatever reason, like yes. this is the family you were meant to have. You know, it's like I know that feeling of you because I I wish I had met Doug ten years earlier too. We we got married when I was thirty. Well, we met when I was thirty five, and um, he's younger than I am too. He's nine months younger than than <gasps> I am, and I know you you married a youngin too, which is annoying. So annoying. I'm annoyed by it's Doug's youngness. So I say to Tommy all the time, I'm like, oh, you're only 43. What's that like? You know, like, <laughs> oh, I remember being that young. Oh, it's so gross. Does he rub it in? All the time. He's like, oh, you're so old. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> oh, speaking of your amazingly talented husband, Tom Segura, just let's introduce him to the audience because he's also a <sighs> comedian. Here's a bit from his stand up. Um, and it kind of involves uh, your life in Soundbite <laughs> 17. I'm a new dad. How about that? I, uh, yeah. yeah. It's the best. It's awesome. Guys always hit me up. I don't know why they trust me, but they're like, should I do it? And I'm like, yeah, of course you should do it. It's the best. It's awesome. They're amazing. And also being a dad is easy, man. Super easy. It's way easier than being a mom. Here's all you got to do if you want to be a great dad. Seriously. Don't abandon your kid. That's it. That's all you got to do. <laughs> so true. <laughs> Sad, but so true, right? So true. I feel like I hear mommy, 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 mommy all day. Last week, I was like, call me Rick or Steve. I don't want to be called mom. I can't hear mommy one more time. Do girls do that too? Oh, yeah. I, I have literally said to my children, stop, stop saying that. Stop using my, that mommy. Stop it. I don't want to hear that one more time. 
I was thinking about it earlier. You were saying like uh, we were watching some of the clips. You were talking about how like, you know, you well, I'll just play it. I think I have it here. Um, this is soundbite 15. This is going to set up my point. Watch. So anyway, I fell down the stairs getting to my baby in a hurry. And that's how I broke my ankle. And see, that's a mother's love. That's a fucking mother's love. <laughs> and nobody tells you this, but being a mom, it's an emotional roller coaster. Like I go from joy to rage, to exhaustion, to exhilaration, every six seconds, every day. <laughs> and just when I'm ready to throw that baby in the river. <laughs> he smiles at me. <sighs> yeah, yeah, they smile at you with those little jack-o'-lantern teeth. <laughs> and you're filled with so much joy, you have crazy thoughts. You're like, ah! I want 10 more! <laughs> Come on, Tommy, we're fucking tonight! <laughs> so I can relate to this because you're like, <sighs> you, and you can get angry and you can lose your temper and you can think, oh my God, if I saw a video of myself right now, I would be horrified. I can feel myself inflicting the damage in this moment. And you're like, reel it back, reel it back. And then they do something awesome that yeah. makes you realize I'm doing a good job. <laughs> That's what my takeaway is like. I actually, I might be kind of cool. I'm nailing this. Yeah. And that's the back and forth of motherhood. And um, like you're talking about trying to find cool mom friends. It's so hard because I think, I think it's hard to admit that motherhood is a lot of suffering. Um, yeah. It's not as glamorous as the baby bliss that they promote when like a Kardashian gets pregnant. I'll never forget seeing People Magazine, baby bliss. And it's like, yeah, yes, sure. and uh -huh. yes, and it's like, I, I love them, but some days are really, really terrible. Um, but I always think about Jordan Peterson when he talks about taking the right path. And I think that having children is the right path. And um, it keeps you, it keeps you in a good place because you're constantly striving to be your best self. Um, and it forces you to look at all your stuff. And I've been in therapy for a decade, you know, just trying to identify feelings and have feelings and feel feelings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so it's been quite a journey. Um, and I know you, I, I've heard you talk about your, your upbringing and, um, and I think about like, what do I want to give my children? What's, what's the secret sauce to making mm -hmm. people successful, resilient people. And, and it's just that resilience. Mm -hmm. And I don't like safe spaces. I don't like trigger warnings. I don't like peanut allergies because, you know, those were created. Uh, mm -hmm. Those didn't occur when you and I were children and they created them because they stopped giving peanuts to children because they thought that would give them allergies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's talk about resilience. I'm dying to talk about this with you because I know this is like one of your your big things. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said, and I think you're in the right state. And I think it's great to be supported by a community that has the same values. You know, like one of the reasons we go out to Montana a lot and have a small cabin out there is uh, I like the way the Montanans are. I like how they reinforce our values with our kids. You know, my kid didn't stand fast enough in the national anthem played at the rodeo. There was like three guys like, get on your feet, kid. I'm like, yeah. Good. Thanks, village. You know, in Manhattan, they'd be like, take a knee, take a knee, get down. <laughs> so I like right. that. I feel like you're, you're doing that right. Now, in Connecticut, it's good, too. It's much more, as I said, mixed ideologically. Um, so that's a step in the right direction. But 
I do think that, you know, the resilience requires you to every time the challenge comes, say thank you. Yeah, great. Stronger than I'm than I was. You know, this is another opportunity. And that you can just can't get from A to B without going through it. So it's like you can't sit back and admire somebody's strength or courage or, you know, mental toughness and hope it just magically appears. You know, that's why you really have to thank God for the tough times and the challenges and the assholes who come into your life because they're there for a reason. You know, if you if you choose to pay attention, they're there for a reason. And by the way, I love that you love Jordan Peterson and Dr. Laura. That's this is what's brought us together. <laughs> Dr. Laura always says, just do do the right thing. Do the right thing. It's so simple, but it really is. You kind of forget that that should be your North Star. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And again, I, I don't agree with everything Jordan Peterson says or what everything that Dr. Laura says, but what? I can glean the important <laughs> things. You know, when I go what like was that last good. thing you just said, there was a blasphemy that came out of your mouth oh, no. there about Dr. Laura. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I miss is that she doesn't say anymore. I am my kid's mom. That was my favorite. I am uh, my kid's mom. But I guess Derek is like an adult now. Who's yeah, married, he's so. he's all grown up. She's so funny that I love listening to her because like she's so abrupt, even with the people who absolutely love her. I was just listening to her yesterday and this woman called and she was like, oh, I've got this, you know, what should I do? I'm kind of still obsessed with my children and I, you know, I need to live my own life. They're out now. And she's kind of going on and she just will cut you off like, get to the point. <laughs> I love her. It's my favorite. Right? I know. She's like, um, I asked you the question, and if you're not going to answer, I'm going to have to hang up on you. Madam. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't make me ma'am you. Don't make me. Oh, she's God. So good. I listen to her so much. But she's she's not wrong about stuff, especially about, like, family and child rearing. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like these old school values are very American. And my parents are Hungarian immigrants. They escaped from communism, right, in 1969, and they moved to Canada. I was born in Canada. We came to the U.S. Um, in 1980. And I was always told over and over, like, America is freedom. America is freedom. America is freedom and freedom of speech. And you can be what you want to be. And I, like, when did it... I, I still love this country. I still believe in this country. And it bums me out to hear people poo-pooing capitalism, especially people that are like, oh, I hate capitalism. Really? Did you just tweet that on your cool ass iPhone that was 100%. invented? Oh, literally I mean, awesome. on a private jet. You know, I mean, that's yeah. that's the you know, you've got people like I hate to round back to my favorite pair of targets, but Megan and Harry out there in their private jet <sighs> lecturing the rest of us on the environment and how we're a racist country and the royal family's race. It's like, would you shut up from your private jet on your way back to your Malibu mansion? <sighs> Nobody wants to hear from you. Nobody. And I hate Megan and Harry, too. And it's so <gasps> funny. Like, and just because would you even talk shit about your mother-in-law publicly? <sighs> Forget that they're royal. Yeah. I mean, how disgusting is that to poop? to poop all over your family, your your in-laws. It's just tacky. While Prince Philip, the queen's husband, was in the hospital dying. Uh, One of them's a big racist. I'm not going to tell you who it is. But poor me, I don't know what title my kid is going to get. <laughs> <laughs> who gives a shit about your kid's title? Nobody. And Princess Kate made me cry. Well, know your audience because everybody loves Princess Kate. So you probably shouldn't divide yourself from her because it's automatically going to be Team Kate, Team Kate. She's just not that well, smart. Of course. Yeah. Kate toes the line like she knows the gig that she got into, which is to be a royal. It's a hard gig. It's not for everybody. And she's doing right. a great job of it, I think. Um, but I love that interview with Meghan Markle and Oprah. I mean, Oprah 
sunk her teeth into that little girl. I was like, oh, don't you feel like it was kind of like Oprah wanted her to look bad? No, just like not want her to look bad. But Oprah was like, oh, I'm going to get into this juicy thing. Oh, you know, yeah. like there's an age difference. Like, you know. Oh, Oprah knew. I mean, she knew every single thing that Meghan Markle was going to say. Oprah doesn't go into an interview without having had her team do 25 pre-interviews. So she knew every bit of news that was going to be made and led her to it. You know, like she knew exactly which which buttons to press. And, you know, Harry and Meghan have been one trick ponies for a while, though. It's all complaining about their woke stuff. And like literally the low point was when Harry, Prince Harry, started lecturing us about white supremacy. It's like... Do we really need to take a look into the royal family's history, the Mountbatten? Where did the Mountbatten come from in your Mountbatten Windsor last name? Like, mm. let's not like if you want us to go there, we can go there. But I literally saw the pictures of you with the swastika on your arm. So, like, maybe <laughs> take a seat on this particular lecture. It was a Halloween costume. I'm just saying. Still. All right. Let's pause for one second. Yeah. Do one more break. Come back and have a ton more fun with Christina P. Let's talk about Netflix and how that's gone, because I know for many years now, I mean, you were part of this 2015 movie with all these comedians who narrated it, um, calling attention to this problem. It was called Can We Take a Joke? And uh, lots of comedians sort of saying, can we, you know, can we still in 2015? Well, flash forward now, you know, how many seven years later? And it's like worse than ever. And Netflix been at the center of it, thanks to the blowback against Chappelle and now against Ricky Gervais. And I know you've been you've experienced some of that yourself. So how was that? Well, Netflix has been fantastic, actually. And um, you're right. 2015, I think, was the last time you could tell a joke in a club that there was no pushback. Um, People had fun. And then the tide turned and it got really, really tight and really, really scary. And people were getting canceled, losing their careers. And then I think with this last thing with Chappelle, it's been so awesome because they couldn't take him down. And his statement was so great. I don't know if you heard what he said. He's like, number one, I will not be summoned, meaning Mm -hmm. I will not come talk to the woke people that are upset with me (laughs) just Mm -hmm. because like I will not be summoned. Um, You have to watch the special front to back before you can talk to me. And number three, you have to admit that Hannah Gatsby isn't funny. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the greatest. (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty Pretty great. And I've sensed it. So I was at the comedy store during the Netflix is a joke festival. And I think comedians are starting to push back. I was at the comedy store just doing spots and you see us. I think we're all getting sick of it. And I think when they tried to cancel Joe Rogan, that was the last mm-hmm. of it. It's like, really? I, I know this guy. I've known this guy for 15 years. He's been nothing but fantastic to everybody, to me, to black comedians, to every comedian, to everybody. Um, I think we're getting over it. And I, I, I feel the tide is turning. And I, I, maybe mm. I'm too optimistic, but. That's exciting. Yeah. I, I think hope so. You're right. I mean, that would be I mean, even Netflix sent out that memo saying we're going to produce for all sorts of people, all sorts of different content. If you can't take it bye. Absolutely. Um, I, I think I loved when um, last week you were talking about this, this girl that wanted reparations um, for yes. she wanted snacks. Yes. 
<laughs> and you're like, how is this woman going to be a lawyer? I mean, they're going to tell you that you're stupid and that your ideas are awful. Um, and you've been through so much, too. Like, do you think that people can cultivate resilience or is this something that you're born yes. with? Yes. No, they 100 percent can cultivate it. I didn't come into the world like this. That's why I feel so strongly about all this stuff. It's like I, I have lots of like moms in particular, but also dads will come and say like, I really want my I, I have my daughter listen to you and I, I want my daughter to be as strong as you are. And I'm like, that's so easy. You got it. Just get out of her way. Let all the shit that's coming her way come her way and then be there to be supportive. You know, you can support your child through trauma and certainly, you know, give them some thoughts on how to navigate it, but let them navigate it. And then their confidence builds, even if it doesn't come out perfectly. You know, it's like courage is built. Self-confidence is built, but you can't go from, you know, having none to having a ton overnight. You've got to do all those little baby steps in between and then and then you'll take bigger risks and then bigger falls will come your way and then you'll handle those mm -hmm. and you'll have even more confidence and more like just keep getting back up and just keep getting back up, get back up, get back up, get back up. That's like it's not even that complicated. So I hate safe spaces. They're exactly the opposite. I spoke to Stanford business students recently and I said, run toward the danger. You want to be strong? Run toward the danger and hope something goes wrong. Yes. It's the anti-fragility. What's that book about the anti-fragility thing? Like that's that's how you you get over things is exposure and um, going over it. I know. Are you in therapy? I think I heard you mention. I have been for most of my life. I'm not currently because I you know, moved. But my therapist is a genius and I love him. And he got me through so much. And one of his classic lines was this is after like all this shit had happened at Fox and I was leaving. I was at NBC and, and he said to me, you know, Megan, you don't always have to have to take the path of most resistance. <laughs> like, now you tell me. But yeah, he's brilliant and really, really helped me. In fact, he's probably the reason why I'm no longer in it because I'm doing pretty well right now and I haven't felt the need, you know, the urgent need to be there weekly. Yeah. And I know you, I mean, you talk about your, your upbringing a little bit, but do you think this was modeled for you? Well, you know parents, what my mom they? did? You know what my mom did? She was like you. She was funny. She is funny. She's still around. But like growing up, she would just laugh in our face a lot of the times when we had some stupid problem. You're like, I'm not dealing with that. And just walk off. You know, so it's like, oh, OK. I like there, there's a funny there's a story that lives in infamy where I had some really important paper due and I got to school and uh, I called her. She was a nurse at the Albany Veterans Hospital. And I called her. I'm like, Mom, I left my term paper at home. If, if I don't get that term paper in, I'm going to fail this class. And she's like, and? I'm like, you got to go home. You got to get me that term paper. You got to bring it to me. I, I didn't even have a car. I couldn't drive. She and she laughed at me and hung up. <laughs> There's, but that's that's what you need, right? Like you mm -hmm. figure it out. You be responsible. She used to have a sign in my kitchen cupboard that read, "Lack of planning on your part does not justify an emergency on my part." Ooh. And like, I and I feel like what I'm passing down to my kids is just. I'm too tired to really be that kind of a mom. So I'm not really doing it by design so much as like, I'm just tired. So they're going to have to take care of themselves. <laughs> Girl, amen. Because my uh, three-year-old is in this phase of, of wanting to do things for himself and then wanting me to do it. And so I have to be like, no, 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 you do it. You get the water. You get your damn water. Yes. Um, and I heard him explaining how to make hot dogs to my older kid. He's like, you put oh. the hot dog in the microwave and when it pops, it's ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
close. And I'm like, that sounds good. Yep. That's what mom taught you. Um, but you know, and, and, and I, I don't know, like, I know feelings are important. I think feelings are great and you have to have them and you have to process them, but that's not all there is. And I feel like this era is all about feelings yeah. and not enough about action and resilience and kicking ass. Like, listen, the boys in the studio saw the new Maverick movie, the new Top Gun movie. And I'm like, you know why it, re it resonates even today? Listen, uh, 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 Maverick loses his partner Goose. He yep. loses his girl. But you know what? He still goes up in that plane and he fights the goddamn Russians and he mm. kills those goddamn Russians. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know what I mean? Like that's the, <laughs> that's America. Yeah. That's America, Jack. Like, And he's still hot. Is, he's still hot. He looks amazing. Yeah. What is he doing? He has definitely had work done, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Have you looked at like the where are they now rundown of all the stars who were in the original Top Gun? It didn't end that well for everyone. That's all. <laughs> that's all I'll say. Tom Cruise looks amazing. Whatever he's doing, it's working. Well, you know what I love is that Kelly McGillis, they interviewed her and they asked her if she was upset that she wasn't asked to do the new movie. And she's like, well, no, I'm old and fat. And that would be ridiculous. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah, that's what well, I it's thought. Like she so lives, she's, she's in an industry where like you're not allowed to get old and you're not allowed to gain oh. weight. You know, you, you're just it's not allowed. It's not permitted. So like truly good for her. I saw an article about Melissa Gilbert recently, who I loved on Little House on the Prairie G growing up. One of my dreams, like NBC wasn't all bad. And one of the good things about it was I got to interview her and Nellie, <gasps> Allison Arngren <gasps> from. Yes, I interviewed that bitch. Nellie. It was awesome, right? The bitch. Yeah. She the was the bitch. funniest. She's a comedian. She's so funny. Anyway, Melissa Gilbert has now just exited stage left because she's sick of dealing with the bullshit and like having to stick your face full of poison. And she's in some like sort of, you know, I don't know, that cabin in like the Adirondacks now with her <laughs> husband, Timothy Busfield, who's of Hollywood as well. And I'm like, good for her. I, I bet it's I mean, I can feel it in news, but not to the extent these Hollywood actresses get it. Oh. I can't even imagine. I mean, it's too much. I, I think, like, especially with comedy, the good news is the older, the fatter, the more inappropriate you are, the longer your career is going to last. And, <laughs> you know, when I was a young comedian, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I started when nobody wanted to hear women say a goddamn thing. So I would go up and I would do every gig. I mean, I did I did gentlemen's clubs. I did Afghanistan just to get stage time. Wow. And I, yeah, I mean, look, I'm, I'm very pro troops. I entertain. I loved, I won't do it now because I have children, but I did a lot of stuff. I went to Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Bahrain, Dubai, you name it. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, it was so, it was life changing. And, and especially to come back as a civilian and see people complaining about everyday life. And you're like, ah, uh, yes. no. Yes. <laughs> get out of there. That's exactly right. So I think that's yeah. great. You did all that. I I had no yeah. idea. And it must have been tough. I mean, we had like Joan Rivers, but you didn't yeah. have that many role models to sort of show you how it's done. I didn't. But you know what's funny? And I and I know that representation is a big thing right now. And I'm I think it's cool. It's great. I didn't care. I my heroes could be male, female, they could be cartoons, they could be whatever. I identified with the spirit of what they were doing. So mm -hmm. yeah, there weren't many role models, but so what? Were I love men. Funny? Were yeah. you always funny? Like you came oh. out of the womb that way? I don't know. I think I was always mischievous. I think I wanted to, sh to shit mix. 
like, kind of right. like you. I, I imagine you have a similar thing where you're like, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to mix shit up. Yeah. And I loved filthy jokes and I would memorize truly tasteless joke books. I don't know if you remember those from the 80s. <laughs> yes. My dad had them in the bathroom and I would memorize them. I didn't even understand the references or what was what, but I love telling them um, at the lunch tables at school and making people laugh. And there's some subversion in it. I think it's rebellion. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. I was getting back at somebody, mommy, daddy, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But my first 20 years were spent telling jokes to men in the front row whose arms were folded. And that was great in a way, because like I had to win them over and get really good at what I what I do. And then now these younger boys, because they grow up on podcasts and they grow up watching people like you and me talk, it's normal. And it's so much easier. And thank God for that. So you, I guess that's watch, the good stuff. Forgive me, but I have to ask, do you watch Mrs. Maisel? I did. Yeah, the first season. And then what when I was think? like, what? This bitch is friends with Lenny Bruce and now she's on private jets. Like it, to me, I get like, oh, that's not how the comedy business works. Yeah. Like you don't go from like open mics to private jets. Years. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's true. I liked it. Like I like the sets and I love um, Tony Shalhoub. Right. He's so great, too. But um, I didn't find her jokes funny. She like, I listen to you. I laugh out loud every two seconds. I never laughed out loud at her jokes. I'm like, this is, how did this make it on TV? I'll tell you why, Megan Kelly. I'll tell you why. Because TV writers don't do live audiences. Stand-up comedians are the goddamn Marines of show business. We're the front. We go, we go up. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, yes. they call comedy writers indoor cats because they've never been out into the wild. Mm. So comedic actors are different than stand-ups. You put me in any city and any place and I can make people laugh. That's the difference between it. What a you know. gift. That I mean, mm. and do you see any signs of, you know, comedic genius in your kids since they're the children of two comedians? They've got double the trouble there. <laughs> yeah, so my three-year-old insists on us calling him. He, we can't call him Julian, which is his birth name that we gave him. We have to call him Sir or <laughs> teacher <laughs> did your kids invent names for themselves I, i'm always like are my kids mental patients are they psychos my husband for a while was going through like we watched some i don't know some <laughs> some like period piece where he was like i would like to be referred to as your royal highness or something i can't remember what it was I'm like <laughs> keep dreaming duggar okay we'll work on that or whenever he watches any sort of a period piece he slips into that kind of talk you know, for a while. Or, oh, no, the best is Ten Commandments. Well, every we watch Ten Commandments every year around Easter. And, and for like a week, I'll hear Doug with like, you bring a warm smile with your cool water. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? You're not Moses. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love period piece things. I'm big into the Tudors. Oh, me you too. Wait, yeah. the Tudors, though, is that the one? Trying to think. Yes. Not the not the follow up, which wasn't as good. The Tudors was good. Who stars in that? Well, it was a while ago. So Henry Cavill is in there and he's the hottest man on the planet. He's very attractive. And then for Henry, they chose the fayest, most effeminate actor. Look him up, Nadav. What's his name? He's really great. He's a British guy, but he's like, wait, very fay. It came, like, out, came out a while ago, right? Are we talking about the same? Yeah. The Tudors. It was a while ago. And then, and then they wrote another one that wasn't as popular. Who is that guy? I, why is it not coming to me? Say it to me. Adopt. Jonathan Reese Myers. Me. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Steve yes. Krakauer. But he's still he's hot. I, hot. He was hot. But there was a lot of like, 
Yeah, there was a lot like jerking off into the towel. I didn't need to like they went places yeah. where I was like, eh, I don't need to know Henry this well. <laughs> <laughs> I know they always start those cable shows with like sex in the opening. Like I don't, I don't know. Do I? I'm, I'm not. Obviously, if you're into the medieval thing, like is it is it a dick thing you need at the top? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But, but I think were there like some gay love scenes with him where I was like. <laughs> reading about this is this a woke thing do we need everyone to be gay or (laughs) (laughs) okay my my favorite was halston have you seen halston no is that worthwhile yeah so i I watched it when i broke my ankle last year and that i i loved it and um but yeah there was a lot of gratuitous um scenes of homosexual sex and i'm like do we really need to do we really but it inspired me to buy those big black sunglasses i wore those for a year so that was worth it (laughs) i do love that that halston style i have to say it's so classic and elegant makes you feel like you want to feel all right now forget that though don't watch tutors and don't watch halston you got to watch christina check out her netflix special you're doing something with amy schumer what it's not with amy schumer it's kind of mocking amy schumer what's the name of that no 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 no, it is Amy Schumer. So, so oh, okay. she hosted. <laughs> I couldn't tell from the name. No, she's sweet. It's uh, it's uh, Amy Schumer's parental advisory. So it's like uh, a, th- a few comics talking about parenting. It's okay. it's quite lovely, and it's going to come out, I think, this weekend. Okay, so we Netflix. do like that. Good, good. Okay, yeah, it wasn't clear. Yeah, she's great. I loved talking to you. I would oh, love to too. have you back anytime, Christina. All the best to you. Good luck with it. You can buy her baby merch too at ymhstudios.com. Help support her so she can keep us laughing. Thank you. You bet. That was so fun. Still laughing. Her clips, her special is so good. And she's she's amazing, right? That was fun to talk to her. Uh, I don't even know what I said. I I think I might delete this episode. I'm not sure this one. <laughs> oh, wait, it already aired live. Um, I, we covered the full landscape. Uh, in any event, if you want to hear more fun talks, don't forget to go back to episode 321 if you want all that weight loss information and just a healthier way of living so you too can be bloat free in the evening. Think of the dream, my friends. Uh, it's real. It can happen. Uh, and then don't miss the show on Monday because my pal Dave Rubin is back with us. Always love talking to him. Meantime, download The Megan Kelly Show on Apple, Pandora, Spotify, and Stitcher. While there at Apple, leave me a note. Leave me a five-star review and let me know what you thought of the show uh, or any of the shows this week. I'm still getting tons of uh, reaction from a few of them and it's fun to read. Also, youtube.com slash Megan Kelly. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear.